Welcome to the Tidy Weekender podcast. This is Johnny Dangerous. Over the coming weeks, I'll be taking you on a journey and giving you an insight into how the Tidy Weekend has happened. We'll be hearing firsthand from the people who created the event, the DJs who entertained at the event, and the clubbers that attended the event. In this first episode, we'll be speaking to Richard Scaife about how the idea for the Tidy Weekender became a reality. I am talking to somebody who um, doesn't really need any introduction. However, without this person, you can safely say that there would be no Tidy Weekender. Richard Scaife, welcome to the Tidy Weekender podcast. How are things? Good morning, Mr. Dangerous. It has been some time. It certainly has been some. The last time I saw you was um, a slinky event and we went for something to eat by the riverside. Um, oh, I remember it well. Yes, I was probably about three stone lighter, but um, yeah, that, that, that I remember well. That, that, that was also fun days. It was, it was. I'm sure we've all aged well, but um, you are known as being Mr. Tidy Weekender. So it is a fact that without you, there would be no Tidy Weekender. How did the idea come about? Well, firstly, thank you for the accolade. Um, <laughs> it, it's, um, it was a very special moment in time. Um, to sort of rewind the clock back a little bit further than, than actually the Tidy Weekenders, um, I was working for a uh, startup which was backed by one of the very big uh, telco companies. It's called Uboot, or U-Boot, as we used to say in the UK. Um, and my job there was to uh, spend mobile phone operators money doing cool shit and uh, I'd approached a well-known trance music brand from Sheffield um, and uh, I'd had no love um, uh, so I thought well you know uh, the other music genre I'm a really big fan of is Hard House I was um, uh, you know was a big fan of places like Trade um, which was just literally around the corner from me um, when I used to live in London um, so I approached uh, Tidy tracks and said, "Look, um, I've got all this money to spend. Um, you know, I'd like to help put on some really cool parties." And the tidy vision uh, concept came to life. Um, and we had these SMS screens. If anybody remember those, and we did probably I think like nearly thirty dates. And towards the end of the tour, um, Andy Pickles said to me, "Why don't you come and join us at Tidy? We, you know, we spend a." incredible amount of time working together um and i think you'd be a really sort of valuable addition to the team and i was like well i live in london and he was like well what's perfect we need somebody in london i said well, i don't know anything about the music business and he said well it's great i think that's probably what we need um so i came with a really sort of um fresh set of eyes um to to what tidy tracks was doing and of course it had built out this amazing community and and my role really at tidy was to to try and find interesting and exciting ways that we could do more with the brand than just do vinyl and CDs. And about the same time, uh, I went to the mezzanine uh, to see Tidy's fifth birthday, which was the first real sort of Tidy event. And I was like, wow, there's a ginormous community here. I, I need to really focus in on bringing an event to life, which celebrates the amazing community um and also kind of reflects on the fact that the brand is just that little bit wonky it's a bit weird um um so kind of thought right what's the weirdest place we could take three thousand plus ravers and i'd been 
as part of my U-boot uh, duties to a quite conventional sort of weekender event down at Canberra Sands. And, uh, you know, there wasn't really a community vibe and feel at this event. It was very sort of, you know, you turn up, you do your party, you go home. Um, so, you know, we didn't go to Canberra Sands. We went to Prestatin, being, uh, you know, very proud of our northern roots. Um, and we had a look around. And, you know, it was at that moment in time for Tidy where everything we touched turned to gold. So there was no feeling of hesitancy. Um, it was just like, shit, let's do it. This is perfect. This is sort of super weird, um, uh, you know, it's an unusual location. There's not a lot else happening here. Let's see if we can put on uh, an event for our community. Um, and it all came together really, really quickly. Looking back, it was probably uh, six months from idea to first event. Um, and we got a little over 2,500 people for the very first Tidy Weekender. Um, so, yeah, it was... I guess a reflection of a moment in time, very supportive people in the shape of Andy Pickles and Amadeus uh, Mozart. Um, and this sort of, hell yeah, we can do it. Um, and, and we did. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I remember it well, the first one. It, it was an amazing event. It was one of those standout events within the, the whole clubbing calendar. Yeah, there's been various weekenders before, you know, like the, the Southport weekender, etc., things like that. But this was something special let's just uh, rewind a, a little bit more can you remember who you approached first with the idea and what was their reaction when you first pitched it to them um i think it was probably andy pickles um and uh yeah it was very well received um because you know andy more than anybody understood the power of the brand and the power of the community and then it was a conversation with Amadeus and, um, you know, in true Amadeus style, you know, we immediately got into um, the details. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, God, look at those flagpoles. We could have tidy flags on those poles. And, you know, we'll do this crazy thing here. And this will be our, uh, you know, this will be our sort of little cheeky hat tip over there. So, yeah, it, 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 like I said, it was we had this sort of fearless um, resolve to, to everything that we, you know, we, we wanted to do. Um, and, you know, there was this period of time where, um, you know, if we put out a record, then it just sold. Um, if we put out a CD, it just sold. If we launched a digital music service, people just downloaded. Um, you know, so the brand was at this absolute peak. Um, so, you know, for me, it was incredibly... Um, rewarding because of course for anybody who has to try and sell tickets the the biggest challenge really is you know having a community who are going to get behind you and support you um and that's a big part of what you've got to be thinking of as a promoter and of course i didn't really have to worry about that that community was there um you know really what i had to focus in on was just making the event shine uh, and delivering a safe and fun event rather than how the hell are we going to tell people about this party and is anybody going to turn up i think those bits we already knew the answer to um what what we what we were able to do then is just make the, the event as as wonderful as it was so 
Tidy was then under Music Factory at the time. Was it difficult or was it easy to convince them to invest in the first event? I honestly don't think they fully understood what we were actually taking on. Um, you know, I, I did some projections. I told them how much money we thought it was going to make. Um, uh, they knew that my background was putting on, um, you know, events and understanding logistics. So I guess I had the full confidence of the uh, of the, the senior uh, folks in the family. Um, but in terms of the uh, uh, the longevity of what we were about to embark on, um, I don't think it was understood by them and I think probably by us as well. Um, you know, I, I look now with immense affection to the fact that, you know, a tidy weekender uh, is about to happen um, once again. And I, I don't think for a moment that any of us thought that it would be running, you know, for the best part of two decades. <laughs> So what kind of obstacles or hurdles um, would you say that you came across during those initial discussions? What stumbling blocks, if any, or, you know, what spurred it on? I think the, um, the only real um, negativity uh, uh, area of concern was, was going to be around, you know, the attendees' behaviour. There was a dark side to a hard house uh, music um, and I've seen it firsthand um, at clubs like trade with uh, with horrible things like GHB um, and we had to put a, a huge amount of focus on the safety of the attendees uh, above and beyond um, what you would normally have to do at one of these weekender style events because we were dealing with a very small number of people who who really just wanted to push, you know, the limits uh, as to uh, what really was kind of acceptable behaviour. So, you know, that very small group of people um, were always the kind of the risk factor um, of doing this event. Um, and that meant that we had to ensure that we had security understood the challenges um, that they're going to be dealing with and a medical team who were very well versed in in dealing with uh, you know those extremities so it was uh, I guess uh, you know a reflection on some of the challenges we could potentially face and you know there were people in the uh, the clubbing world um, who sort of said ah you know, this is going to turn out to be an absolute disaster. These people are not going to behave themselves. Um, but the reality, uh, you know, the reality was is that didn't occur. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many have taken place now, but, you know, they've all been delivered as, as a safe, uh, as safe events. Okay. So how did you take it from concept to fruition then? Because it was an additional idea and turning that idea into reality was a massive, massive task. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's very fortunate when you're a, a club promoter, which I guess, or an event promoter, that you don't have to worry about how you're going to get, you know, people to your event. You know, you don't. Nobody knows who you are. You haven't got any database. Um, uh, you know, so Amadeus started putting his uh, creative uh, juices to work. And, and instantly came up with a, a very sort of retro look and feel. Um, I don't think we actually showed that first artwork to Pontins because they would have probably had a heart attack. 
and of course that that the original artwork also then ran for event number two and of course when we did the first one we didn't really know if there was ever going to be a second one um it was only a reflection of the energy and the enthusiasm that we saw at the event so quickly the uh, the concept you know came to life uh, from a visual perspective and then that starts to make it a lot easier because you've got something in terms of a look and a feel um we then moved into programming the, you know, the talent um, and getting those names on the flyer. And, and of course, you know, the power of the Tidy brand meant that every single DJ wanted to perform at that event. And if they got other dates that were committed in their calendar, then, you know, they were comfortable moving out those dates and into our date. So we got the talent uh, that we wanted uh, for the first event. I can't remember if we actually did anything during the day it's that long ago um i think the daytime activity may have just all been centered around the queen vic i don't think we actually had a a, a checkers or a rainbow moment at uh, event number one i know we did like stalls and things like that which opened during the day um and people were sort of just playing on the arcade machines but uh uh, and, and then I went sort of to look at what you would call uh, vendor selection. So uh, we already knew, uh, you know, who was going to be doing all the security side of things. We already knew who was going to be doing all the medical side. We then started to look at production partners um, who would make the venue uh, look a little less like a holiday centre and uh, more like a rave cave um, and dropping those, those production partners in and then starting to build out a team of people who... Uh, were working around me and, uh, and supporting me um, so that, you know, was additional sort of production managers and, and things like that. So, uh, and also having all of the resources of the Music Factory Entertainment Group were incredibly helpful. Things which now you just wouldn't need um, because at that time, people didn't actually book a ticket online. They called... 01709 I think was the number. I think it was. And yeah. you rang up. Yeah, you rang up um, and you booked it on the phone. And I remember when we uh, used to do sort of follow on events, um, Tidy Weekend 2 and Tidy Weekend 3. And of course, the, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, um, was so ginormous on those follow on events. We used to crash the switchboard. <laughs> we used to have to leak the information out because uh, clearly, you know, I think there was maybe 10 telephone lines coming into the building when all of a sudden 500 people, 1,000 people all want to book a ticket. You've got a Glastonbury moment um, in our own little way. So, um, yeah, having all of those resources were incredibly helpful um, because, yeah, you didn't, you didn't send an email uh, you didn't go online, um, you know, you, you picked up the phone um, and, uh, you know, you ran a contact centre. So let's talk about the lineups then, because they were they were pivotal to um, the success of the weekend, amongst many things. You know, a lineup does attract, um, you know, your, your, your clubbers. So who and how has it decided what the original lineup would be? And did you have an initial lineup in mind when you first had this idea and how close to that initial lineup, was it? Um, I, think we, uh, I think we pretty much got everybody that we wanted. I mean, it's a long time ago. Um, but I remember, you know, we wanted to have music which reflected a journey. 
Um, you know, so we didn't want to start the night at 190 BPM. Um, so, you know, Samadeus has always been really, really fanatical on getting that sort of programming and that transition uh, of music. So, you know, in a way, kind of replicating what people like Trade used to do very, very successfully. Um, and also uh, playing out some of the transier elements um, of the tidy sound. Uh, so bringing people over like Signum, I'm pretty sure was on our first lineup. Um, but then going all the way to, you know, having sort of Paul Glasby there. So it was... Uh, uh, yeah, a very uh, large undertaking. There was obviously a lot of people who all need to be programmed in at the same time. Um, you know, we didn't, from memory, sort of drip out the names of the talents. We went out with a flyer which had every artist on there. Um, but again, the strength of the Tidy brand, you know, ultimately meant that everybody, uh, you know, wanted to, to be playing at that show. There wasn't a there wasn't a sort of prove it to me and then I'll do the next one. No, certainly not. No, it, it was one of those events where the minute people heard what was happening, um, I mean, I remember people phoning up saying, "I want to play this weekend." Sorry, the lineup's done. You know, um, there were a lot of big names who weren't um, too pleased that they missed out. But you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it was. It was, a, it was an event which instantly captured uh, the industry and the clubber's imagination. And, and for me, who'd come to the industry, as actually nothing more than a clubber. I mean, this was the guy who uh, I, I managed to get myself into the VIP area at uh, Gatecrasher at Lofferton Hall. You know, and I stood next to Pete Tong and Paul Van Dyke, and I was like, I've made it. I've made it. I, I'm, you know, these are my heroes. So for somebody who had come really relatively fresh to the industry uh, and was a big fan um, of, of those artists, um, uh, you know, that was really, really humbling. So let's talk about tickets. And when tickets went on sale for the first weekend, the social media was in its relative infancy. We, we can say you had MySpace uh, being the, the domineering platform so to speak you also had people uh, communicating via msn messenger now you had the the tidy board at your disposal that was a brand new thing um just how key was that platform in the playing a you know a successful part of the tidy weekenders oh i mean it was a huge part um i mean that was uh you know the community and it's quite funny now when you look at you know sort of community You've obviously got all of the sort of the big platforms, the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the Twitters of this world. But now you've got these ginormous sort of sub-communities which live on sites such as Reddit and the world that I'm, you know, that I'm now involved with, ginormous amounts of conversation around, uh, you know, that category all takes place in, in places like Reddit, which ultimately is a message board. Um, but the, the message board was, uh, you know, the social community. And it meant that you, you know, you ultimately had really, really tight control over what posts were at the top, what people saw in their activity feed. People were going back to that site um, because it was, you know, a place where they, they hung out. So you just didn't have that... Um, diversification of attention um which you've got now where you know if you're a social media manager 
uh, you know, you've got to worry about the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, the Reddit, the podcasts. Maybe you've got a clubhouse. It's like you've got 10 times the amount of platforms that you need to feed. And those platforms have all got sort of very different algorithms and, um, you know, activity profiles. Whereas then, uh, you know, if you wanted to interact with Tidy or indeed Hard House, then you were going to the Tidy board or potentially sites like For Clubbers if you're in the north or uh, Harder Faster if you're in the south. So you pretty much had three locations in terms of digital media which you needed to feed and if you were feeding those three locations and one of them is your own property then you effectively had every eyeball which is going to be available to communicate what you're doing let's talk about the production so at the first event it was pretty basic by today's standards but for back then it was state-of-the-art yeah i mean production has just moved and i don't think we had any cd players we might have had one cd player um, which was just to deal with awkward people who might have a CD. Um, you know, so production quality and production standards now have moved to a completely new level. I mean, just things which uh, were not technically possible then um, are now the norm. Uh, and things which a few years later were incredible standards of production and very expensive, like when we put a video um, you know, that was ginormous. I mean, it came on the back of a truck and, you know, it took many people a full day to assemble it. You know, and that same piece of production now, you could probably fit it in a record box and it would go onto a screen yeah. um, or you could roll it up and it would be tiny and wouldn't be particularly expensive even to buy it. Whereas, you know, that video wall that we put in was very expensive to hire and obviously very expensive to buy and, and now would be sat in an antique shop. Now, the sound levels were renowned at the weekenders as well. Um, a few of the neighbours were quite prone to complaining how did you manage to tackle that um trying to keep the door shut having people running around uh with sound meters um uh, around the site um i mean we ultimately needed to deliver a real oomph um you know to the people who were there but at the same time uh we couldn't convince everybody who lived locally to go um somewhere else um no. so uh yeah we did have a few uh issues uh with neighbors there wasn't a lot that we could do um you know from a soundproofing uh, protection uh, perspective because of course we were in and out uh, in terms of our use of the venue uh but uh yeah, it was a mixture of, um, you know, gathering all of the information and then being polite and persuasive uh, with people who, uh, who were complaining, who lived, who lived locally. So Thursday nights for the weekend, they would be spent packing the goodie bags, the toilet roll, the CDs, etc. Many of those things have now become collectible. You can find them on um, auction sites. or Really? On, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Even <laughs> on some of the CDs are going for like 30 quid. It's unbelievable. Now, other products came from sponsors, all right? One that stands out to mind and will always... Uh, stand out for me was a japanese energy drink now i can't remember the name of it i think you're responsible for this but it literally turned your urine 
neon yellow. It was like holding a late side. Uh, oh lightsaber. my god! Uh, Can you remember? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. It was like holding a lightsaber when you went to the toilet. It was phenomenal. <laughs> How on earth did you find that? Because we had crates of it for months after. Yeah, um, I can't remember what it's called, but I do remember it had a very peculiar taste to it. And color. I don't know. Um, you get offered some strange things to give away. I mean, we famously at uh, uh, to Ubut used to give away um, condoms and silver foil blankets. Yeah. And anybody who remembers the, the fifth birthday party and leaving uh, the mezzanine shivering we remember that I had a team of people um, putting silver blankets, just like you get when you'd run the London Marathon. Um, and if you got lucky, you got some condoms as well. I guess I was always really good at getting free things <laughs> to give away to people. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember the, the, we had crates of that stuff for months. I think it even overran to the next weekend. We had that much of the stuff we could give it away. <laughs> but, yeah, we, they must have delivered the, the whole of the UK... Um, stock allowance to us for that weekend but yeah so getting the clubbers in was was virtually a, a military operation now most of the tidy team would be down at the main gate welcoming the clubbers in can you remember how you felt the moment the gates opened at the first event how did you feel seeing that a mixture of terrified and deeply relieved um deeply relieved because we'd obviously managed to achieve all the production standards that we wanted to and you know we'd had a sign off from the venue that we were good to go but then um quite apprehensive in terms of what was going to happen because of course during the build you know you've got quite high degrees of control over all of the external factors you know it's a small team of people and uh, you know if anything starts to go wrong then you can kind of nudge it in the right direction um of course when you've got several thousand people um on your campsite then uh, you're dealing with all sorts of um interesting scenarios and i've uh, I've seen things which will stay with me for the uh, the rest of my life. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, apprehension, I guess, is a, you know, proud, but, you know, you're apprehensive. You've got a lot of responsibility. You know, you, you, you've got to make sure that these people have a, a fun but safe time. And, you, you know, you've got them with you for, you know, potentially 70-plus hours. Let's rewind back to our opening night, the queue to get in the venue stretch right around the building okay what thoughts ran through your head um when you looked at it from the main stage where you saw clubbers filtering into the arena that main arena because you're on the main stage um for for most of the events you know there's a lot of things that we had to sort of uh you know consider um so i was very relaxed about it i mean i think most people were used to queuing to get into a nightclub um hopefully nobody had to queue for particularly that long uh certainly not sort of a gate crasher or magna five um no. or magna seven sorry length queues <laughs> um i guess immensely satisfying seeing all of these people getting ready um you know and at the same time you know you want to run a very efficient front of house you want to get people in uh, as quickly as possible but you know you've also got to be um you know very aware of uh, of what happens in nightclubs and uh, you know you, you wear a lot of responsibility there to make sure that uh, you know uh, people have a have a safe uh, safe time when they're with you as well as trying to be everywhere at the same time you're also the master of ceremonies on the main stage keeping the crowd going at every opportunity 
did anything ever go wrong? Uh, no, I don't think actually it did. I mean, there was many times where I was uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, uh, you know, I would be dealing with something which was arguably a lot more important than me getting on a microphone and introducing a DJ. And sometimes I would sort of have to make a decision as to whether I could actually leave that situation and go back to the main stage or if i was just relatively oblivious of timings because you know somebody was in my ear um talking about the fact that they didn't like the towels they got the toilet paper was not satisfactory and then you've got to make a decision whether you want to be you know rude uh, and sort of say hey look i'll come back to you um but no i don't think there was anything which went um wrong uh, it's just an incredibly hectic lead up to the show during the show and and even after the show as well last set main stage sunday night the first weekender was was pretty emotional for everyone the tidy team um stood on the stage and in yourself spoke to the crowd it must have been pretty emotional at that point for you it was one of your biggest achievements to date surely yeah no absolutely i don't remember an awful lot um about those sort of closing moments and that's not being disrespectful to the closing moments i kind of have to go back and watch the limited amount of video footage that was captured to kind of recalibrate it all and i, I say i don't remember because it was just such a, a whirlwind um you know that 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 entire event i was sleeping two to three hours a day i think i was sleeping on the site as well um hadn't actually got into the habit of booking a hotel away from the site so i was getting limited amounts of sleep my feet felt like they'd been smashed with hammers um because i you know I was probably doing thirty-five thousand steps a day um uh, now, now of course with an apple watch and an iphone i'd know exactly how many steps i was yeah. doing uh, and i probably and i probably couldn't do it anymore but uh, I mean, it was it was just brutal in terms of the uh, the the amount of uh, you know ground you were covering, the amount of people you're interacting with, the amount of different situations. Um, so yeah, I don't remember an awful lot, um, uh, and I don't even remember if we had an after party at the first um, the first event. Um, uh, I, I just can't remember. If I I'm don't honest. think we did. I think on the Saturday there was there was the vicious circle after party, but I don't recall on the Sunday there being one. No, I mean that used to be for me the highlight of the event. Um, sounds super weird, um, and not because anything sort of particularly spectacular <laughs> used to happen at the after parties. Um, but you know we used to take over room two, um, and it would be like 100, 150 people who'd worked on the show, who were connected into the DJs, the DJs. We just took the pace down. Um, we used to play a bit of Funky House, a bit of old classics. But it was just a nice way for people to um, you know, decompress and have a good chat and a catch-up. Um, and, you know, at that point, everybody had, um, you know, sort of headed back to their chalets, uh, and we'd secured the venue, so we haven't got any venue responsibilities. And then everything which was happening on the site, 
uh, you know, became a mixture of responsibility for our security team and the Ponton security team and the medical team. Um, so we as the kind of production and event people used to be able to sort of unwind a little bit and have a few drinks and, uh, you know, just chill out. So that used to be a, a real highlight of the show just because you got to enjoy um, uh, in a different way uh, the show. What went through your head in the days following that first weekend? Because you didn't actually get back to t Tidy HQ until the end of the week. You were there stripping the event down as well. The gamble had paid off after the first weekend, and we know that. How soon after that weekender was Weekender 2 booked? I think it was actually being booked uh, whilst we were still on the site. Um, we kind of shook hands with Pontins probably on the Monday or the Tuesday, um, but we teased on the Sunday, you know, that we were we were going to be coming back and we were going to do it again. We'd been having a lot of very regular dialogue with the site during the event, uh, you know, in terms of checking in and how everything was going, if they'd got any concerns, if there was anything we needed to put more focus in on. Uh, so they were, you know, saying to us, you know, this has been great, we've really enjoyed it. Um, you know, would you be, you know, looking to do another one? Is this a one-off? So we, uh, we already had in our mind um, that there was going to be uh, another one internally um, and with our friends um, at Pontins at the time. And of course, you know, as we were coming towards the end of the event, all we were hearing from the, the clubbers was, when's the next one? Uh, are you going to do it again? Um, so, yeah, we, we'd had a pretty strong signal from everybody that it was something which was going to happen again. So second time round, it was far more easier to convince Music Factory that this was a good event to be putting on. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was... Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say the first one was particularly hard, um, just because we were in this really lucky place of we hadn't had any failures yeah. you know, of significance. Everything the Tidy brand had done had turned to gold. Um, the fifth birthday party, the Tidy Vision tours, the spectacular sales from the vinyl and the CDs. Um, so we, we, you know, we have kind of full confidence and I, I, I guess confidence is a, a big part of success. Um, so there was never really that hesitancy. But, you know, when we started to look at the, the second one, it was more of a hell yeah, <laughs> rather hell yeah. than oh yeah. Now, the first couple of weekenders didn't have a theme as such. I don't think it was until um, weekend three that a big red bus was commandeered to ferry clubbers from the train station at Prestatting to uh, the Pontin site with the Tidy Boys on board, of course. Now, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at the meter when that was pitched. Well, you know, that is a really funny story. Go on, then. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't a theme per se. I guess it was nudity and flags yeah. uh, were the theme. Uh, and we made a big thing of the flags because we superimposed those orange flags um, onto those flagpoles um, for the, the first piece of artwork, if memory serves me well. And then we did the same with green um, for the second one. With the naked bikers. And, yeah, and then Tidy Weekender number three kind of was playing on the on the buses. So it kind of had that, yeah, holiday camp carry Because that was the actual was... venue, wasn't it, where they filmed it was, that, it was. that so on was... the buses film with the holiday. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So here's the really weird thing. 
So Amadeus goes through his library of madness and irrelevance and finds his picture and, you know, puts Tidy Weekend to three on the side of the bus. And that is the artwork. And we used to laugh and joke and say, wouldn't it be funny if we, you know, had a bus? And you know, I was like, yeah, but, you know, the bus would kind of have to look like the artwork. Otherwise, you know, it's going to look a bit weird just driving a, you know, a Prestatin bus around or a, like a, like, you know, a London red bus. So, yeah, we were never going to do a bus. And then we were driving through one of the coastal roads. And I can't remember who I was with at the time. It may have been Chris Hanley, um, who was one of our events team, or Mike Chalmers. But we saw that bus. Uh, not the exact bus, but a bus which looked almost identical. We were like, we found the bus. So we managed to have this bus, which all we had to do was put Tidy Weekend to three on the cream. Um, and it looked identical to the bus in the artwork. But we didn't have the bus when we did the artwork. That was just a lucky find. How were the themes decided then? Because you um, had the Tidy Army, you had the Dirty Weekender, there, there was quite a few. You had the, the Western Weekender, the Wild Wild West. It was always a team effort. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we used to, you know, all sort of decompress. I wouldn't say we had like a schedule. We didn't sort of go, ah, yeah, year four, it's Space Invaders, and then it's that, that, that. There wasn't any of that. It used to kind of be um, a reflection of what we'd just done and then kind of looking, uh, you know, looking at the, the next one. And then it started to get to a point where, um, you know, we'd have the theme lined up for the next event. So we kind of then used to do the, the pre-announcements at the event. But that took a little bit of time before we got to that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was a, a big team effort. And, and listen, I always feel um, deeply humbled um, when, uh, you know, people pat me on the back and say, wow, you know, but the reflection is this. If it wasn't for the amazing work of people like Darren Hicks with the security and the quality of people that he brought to look after people so that people were safe and respected and Pete Jones um, and Victoria, um, the medics, the production teams, all of the management, the kind of uh, roll your sleeves up mindset of everybody from Tidy and Music Factory, people who used to work in the office, you know, not having anything to do with Tidy day to day, will be there working in the shop. So, you know, whilst I used to get a lot of the uh, halo effect um, uh, in terms of putting the event on, it was the people who programmed the talent in. It was the people who manned the phones. Um, you know, it was the people who patted people down on the way in and made sure that they were safe. That ultimately all contributed to the success of the Tidy Weekenders. So, yeah, it's a great buzz getting up on stage and, you know, sort of putting your hands up and saying, yeah, that we did it. But you are ultimately uh, a figurehead. In the same way that Amadeus and Andy are figureheads, but they've always been deeply uh, respectful of all the people that are around them, which have created that amazing success. So, uh, you know, I'm always delighted um, to kind of, uh, you know, take the compliments who isn't. But, you know, I always want to convey that that success was only achievable because of the amazing people who got behind what we were doing, who said, yeah, Richard, that sounds like a good idea. Confident you can do it. 
um, and supported me because if I didn't have that support from the Andy and the Amadeuses and all of that amazing team of people that we brought together, there would have never been a tidy weekender. Now, as the weekenders grew, so did the, the budgets to put them on because they got more theatrical. Can you remember what the biggest budget was whilst you were there at Tidy? What what was the biggest cost to put on a weekender? Just, I mean, it's going to have changed between then and now, but just to give people an idea of back then what you were looking I, I at. I can't remember the exact numbers because it is four, 15 years ago. I can't remember yeah. how much I spent on lunch yesterday. Um, but... Uh, I remember the biggest extravagance, um, and that was uh, the Tidy Weekender, uh, or the Tidy Army, and that was the, the zip line, uh, which I think was used for all of a minute, <laughs> uh, for Andy and Amadeus to fulfil their, uh, their childhood um, boy uh, fantasies of being in the army, uh, and to, uh, to have weightlessness. Um, that was a true extravagance. Um, only they got to do it. Um, but yeah, we didn't use it for very long and it did cost quite a lot of money to do it. 24 weekenders later after lockdown, the 25th weekender is going to take place in July 2022. Did you ever think what you created back then all those years ago would still be going strong today? No, of course not. Um, I think, you know, life is, is, is about uh, meeting interesting uh, people. I mean, I never thought I'd be working in the music industry. Um, so let alone be responsible for uh, delivering an event format um, which has stood the test of time. Um, it, it shows um, the power of the community, the community which has evolved. Um, you know, some people are still part of that community um, and of course new people have come, and some people have moved on. Um, but it, it shows that strength, and, and that's ultimately what we, we built that event around, was community. So I guess, with hindsight, I could look and say, yeah, of course, communities stay together. Um, uh, meaningful, life-changing connections were made at those events. But I guess when you're there, you don't necessarily sort of look at it in that way. It's only when you get to stand back, you know, look, that you realise that you've achieve something which was very very special and it's quite funny actually that the the next um weekender is called tidyland and i just returned from miami um as part of my world these days i did a, an event in miami which was actually a professional business event um but we gave it some of that magic that we used to have um in the dance music shows uh, it was called Wonderland. Wow. <laughs> um, and Karma. I, I saw elements of that, because um, it's the first time people have really been able to meet as an industry um, uh, en masse. Uh, so it had those elements where there were people saying, I've made you know relationships which I think will last a lifetime, and now I can kind of stand back and say, hmm, I think this is actually going to stand the test of time. What we've got here is community. Um, what we've got here are life-changing memories and an afterglow, which is still continuing. We had a piece in The Guardian um, yesterday um, about the event uh, in Miami. Um, so, you know, you, you, you get to see those similar characteristics um, and then you recognise um, that you've created something special. But I guess when you're there at the time, 
um, and you're in the thick of it, you don't necessarily see it. It's only when you've done it maybe once or twice before that the next time you get the opportunity to do it, you actually get to see it. Now, celebrity guests we've booked for the weekenders, um, ones off the top of my head I can remember are Timmy Mallet, Pat Sharp, and also the um, late, great Howard Marks. Now, it was, I think it was Lee Haslam and myself that went to pick him up from the station, and the first thing he did when he got off the train was spark up, because obviously he couldn't smoke um, on, on public transport. How did you decide who would appear? Because it was such a varied array of guests from you know retro kids tv to to the likes of howard marks you know mr nice yeah i mean i i guess you know we wanted people who'd got a, a kind of a, a cultness around them um regardless of how kitsch that was so sometimes though with the case of howard marks it was a cultness and coolness um whereas you know when we had keith chegwin uh, rest in peace yeah you know Keith was just one of those people who was known by everybody. His career had gone sideways. Um, uh, you know, he, he was somewhat of an extravagant character. And, um, you know, we'd heard that his uh, adult show, shall we say, the uh, was jungle. very, very different from his breakfast television persona. Yeah. So, um you know, that for me was probably my my favourite guest um, because, uh, uh, you know, he bounced up on stage and his opening line was, hands up, who thinks I'm a C-U-N-T? Um, uh, which you never forget. <laughs> no, like, of course you wouldn't. Wow, he's shameless. <laughs> so if you could have one celebrity at the weekender, who would that be? I don't know, actually. Um, I mean... Oh, that's a really difficult one. Um, I guess times have changed as well. Um, I think like a lot of the people, uh, you know, who we would have looked at then, we wouldn't necessarily look at now. That's a, that's a really difficult one. I think we probably got every... I mean, we only had a certain budget. So, I mean, it's ridiculous for me to sit there and say, oh, would have liked Prince to yeah. come along. Um you know, there was only so much money you could sort of play with. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think in terms of what we had to play with from a budgeting perspective, I think we got everybody we wanted. I mean, and we got some, you know, we got corkers. People who were, yeah, I mean, you know, people, you know, our audience had grown up with. Um, and, you know, they were true celebrities. I mean, very much with the exception of Howard Marks. Um, yeah. You know, very much domestic celebrities. If you were visiting us from Australia or Japan, um, and you were watching Jeffrey, Zippy, and Bungle um, on a Saturday, was it a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon? I think it would be either. Yeah, if you're watching them, you were probably thinking, "What the hell is this?" Because they would have not meant a great deal to you. But if you've grown up with Rainbow. Um, as a child, then, uh, you know, th those were quite precious moments. So which has been your favourite weekender and why? Uh, Tiny Weekender number one, because obviously it was the first um, event that we did and we, we, we got to prove the format. And then I think probably Tidy Army. I think that was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, that was uh, And the favorite. reason being, it was, it, it was such... It was such an easy theme for people to get into. So the adoption of the theme was really high. 
uh, everybody could go and find some camo gear and put some face paint on and buy a green hat. Yeah. Uh, and some people went to incredible lengths and some people just bought into it, um, uh, you know, at a relatively low level. But we had just really high levels of adoption of the theme. And it was a true reflection of what Tidy was. You know, it was a community, but it was an army. Tell us your weekend a nightmare. What went wrong for you? What can you remember that went wrong? Nothing might have gone wrong, but what was your weekend a nightmare? Mm, I never really had a, a, a nightmare. So, uh, so not the some... golf cart ploughing into a chalet then, that was... No, that? I mean, I've had some near misses, I guess, and they were generally involving people who um, push themselves to excess and seeing the, uh, you know, the, the sort of state that they are in yeah. um, and being quite sort of... Uh, frustrated and upset for them at the same time. Um, you know, those things always sort of uh, put a put a bit of a dampener um, on things. Um, and they also used to chew up a huge amount of your time. And, you know, some, da- you know, uh, some days the next day, you know, you'd see them doing it again and you were like, what an asshole. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you just chewed up five people's time for like several hours and you don't kind of reflect on your behavior so listen i'm you know i'm all for a party but uh you know you've got to know your limits uh, and there were some people who just used to push it that little bit too far and then we unfortunately had to wear uh, a lot of the uh, outcomes of their behavior so those for me were always the uh, the most frustrating um you know moments of doing an event of that time because whilst ever you're dealing with that, you're not dealing with something else. And, you know, when it's taking up three three security staff's time, the event manager's time, and two medics, yeah. Um, then, yeah, that's just not cool. Um, and we didn't used to see an awful lot of it, and it used to generally be the same people. Um, and sometimes you would bar them from the event, and they'd still manage to find their way on. Um, so they were just like persistent bad stains on the, uh, you know, on the management of what on the whole was a very, very, you know, clean event. Let me ask you something finally. Had you have stayed at Tidy, where do you think you would have taken the events? Where would you have taken them to the next stage? What would have been the next stage? Um, I, I don't think I would have, um, pushed to do as many Tidy weekenders. Um, for me less is more um and that's actually been one of my learnings that i've managed to take from tidy and transpose to the world i'm in now so just did this very big show in miami wonderland um you know getting offers to take the format all around the world massively expand on the format um you know take a much bigger uh, convention center in miami i reflected on some of the mistakes that were made at tidy Uh, and said, no, actually, no. Um, Wonderland is going to be once a year. It's going to be in Miami, and we're going to sell the show out. We sold the first one out. We'll sell the second one out. We'll just sell it out quicker, uh, rather than sort of land and expand. And I think that was probably where I would have done things differently. Um, And I took, actually, elements of that from people like Gatecrasher, who at their peak were the absolute brand guardians at their demise they were the you know uh, they were the slags of the industry <laughs> but at their peak uh, they were 
true perfectionists in terms of what they would put their name on and what they'd be associated with. And I think that's probably where, um, you know, Tidy took a few missteps. And also there was a change in musical tastes as well. And, and some people grew out of it and not enough people grew into it. So it's not all, uh, you know, sort of the, the new management who need to kind of, you know, hold the responsibility on that. Some of it was um, a reflection of market trends. But my learning there was, um, you know, you've got a gem, keep polishing that gem, just make it better, make it more desirable, rather than trying to have more and more gems. Because I think that some of that desire to do more and more events ultimately will have led to some of the lack of enthusiasm that some of the events ultimately ended up seeing. So that was then. This is now Richard Scaife. What are you up to these days? Give us a brief overview. What do you do? Yeah, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a venture capitalist these days. I invest exclusively into psychedelic medicine. Um, so I spend my day generally talking with scientists, sometimes computer nerds, around how we can develop new psychedelics uh, but using them in strictly medical settings so this is taking uh, you know drugs that we've all probably heard of but applying them alongside therapy so that could be LSD um, that could be magic mushroom psilocybin MDMA ecstasy and I've been very very lucky uh, to join this industry when it was super early and watch some of the companies that we've invested into become multi-billion dollar uh, companies. Wow. Um, we also own the biggest media property in the space. So we develop all of the, the news and the content for the industry. And we started off life doing virtual events because that business was born at the beginning of a, uh, a pandemic. Yeah. And we did our first event in November in Miami under the Wonderland name. A mixture of professional investing into what we uh, would call psychedelic medicine life science companies. So very heavy on the science, but I've also got interest in the media space, um, technology companies who provide software into clinics, um, artificial intelligence companies who use AI to uh, develop new methods of discovering uh, you know, discovering new uh, drugs. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what I do um, day to day. But, you know, the funny thing is, if I hadn't have had, um, you know, my experience and exposure inside the electronic music space, I don't think it's a category that I would have been drawn to. And one of the things that I talk quite regularly about is what we call in the industry set and setting. Um so, you know, is somebody going to go to a hospital to receive these treatments or are they going to go to a luxury resort to receive these treatments? And what we know is set and setting is really, really important for the effectiveness of therapy. And what I saw in the tidy days was these immense communities uh, which were curated through set and setting. People who created lifelong you know, meaningful friendships um, through those events. And, uh, of course, there was an underlying uh, theme to uh, to a lot of that um, community building. So I, I think I look and say with great affection that, you know, what I did as, uh, you know, at Tidy has a huge impact 
on and what I'm doing now. And sometimes the worlds do bump in the most unusual um, of settings. And I'll give you a great example. Um, and it goes down as one of my most hilarious moments of 2021. I'm talking to um, a private bank in Los Angeles who, who specialize in working with commercial clients. Um, talking to the guy there, pretty senior, and he says, um, are you Richard Scaife from Tidy? No way. The same Richard Scaife. I'm like, yes. He says, I am like the biggest hard house fan. I'm like, really? Like, you're in Los Angeles. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I was into this. He says, and Tripoli tracks and Nucleus. And this is my favorite record. And he's like, did you get to meet these people? I'm like, yeah. And that's like who I used to work next to. And he's like, wow, that's absolutely incredible. Well, listen, I want you to know as a bank, uh, you know, we're really happy to provide banking to your clients. And I met him actually for the first time in Miami. He flew over to Miami to come to the show. Um, and we spent most of our time not talking about business and banking, but hard house. Wow. Um, I, I think that for me was like a really, a really special, if not super weird, um, interaction. Because um, it just shows how far what we did actually um, went. What a small world we live in. Absolutely. Listen, Richard, on behalf of everyone who has ever been involved with a Tidy Weekender, who has ever performed at a Tidy Weekender or attended one, we salute you. We thank you. Without you, this never would have happened. Well, thank you very much, Johnny Dangerous. And without all of the wonderful people who were uh, so confident in my ability to deliver a uh, a groundbreaking event it would have never happened either but uh, thank you for your kind words thanks for listening to the tidy weekender podcast please favorite us so you don't miss the next episode